0: Welcome back to The Jig Is Up. Of course, my name is Darcy, and with me as always is the ever-amazing Jason. How's it going, buddy?
1: Good. How are things down south, man?
0: They're uh, pretty good. I, You know, we were just talking before the show. It's been a bit of a lazy week for me. I don't know about you up there in the, the north end of the country, but...
1: Yeah, it was busy. It was really warm this week, so everything turned to bloody ice, so the side roads are just awesome.
0: <laughs> yeah. I've almost we actually almost have no snow left in Calgary because it's last weekend it got in the like plus ten, plus thirteen range. So yeah, yeah most of my yard melted. <laughs> Not quite good enough though. I did see one motorbike out on the weekend, but it wasn't quite good enough for me to get my motorbike down my alley and out because the alley is like three inches of solid ice, so
1: Yeah, here too. Would have been a luge run on a motorbike.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> And that doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun for me.
1: Uh, no, I don't get paid enough to do those kinds of stunts anymore.
0: No, because repairing the bike is not cheap, and uh, yeah,
1: yeah, I'm not uh, not well, not into that. <laughs> the uh, the bike recovers a lot quicker than I do these days. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true. I suppose eh? <laughs> I I'm in denial that I'm getting older. <laughs> I just uh, uh, I just realized that this year 2019 is actually the 20 year anniversary of the Columbine. Uh, shooting. So I'm like, holy crap. I, f- I do feel
1: old now. Yeah, no kidding. Wow. Yeah, right?
0: It's also, also the 20th, uh, 20th anniversary of the uh, the uh, cinematic brilliance that was American Pie for anybody who's interested. So yeah, now we can all <laughs> feel old together.
1: <laughs> That's right. If anybody needed a flashback just then.
0: <laughs> you know where to go to count on that shit. Um So I thought we'd start off by giving a shout out to the Métis Addictions Council of Saskatchewan who are celebrating their 50th anniversary this year, which is amazing for an organization like this. A lot of addictions counseling services don't tend not to last that long. So I just want to give them a shout out and say congratulations to them.
1: Mm -hmm. It's the endurance run. Good job.
0: Absolutely. And, uh, you know, they, they boast that they infuse the 12 step recovery model in with uh, Métis heritage, traditional ab- Aboriginal teachings, things like that. So, uh, they got three locations in Saskatchewan, which again is impressive. They have inpatient care. They have like beds for people to actually come and get, you know, um, addiction services in house. Uh, they have you know, programs for aftercare, all that kind of stuff. So it's a pretty impressive organization that I've never heard of until today. So I, I've i been doing some research on them. And uh, yeah, I think that's awesome. I think it's amazing to have something like that out there.
1: Well, especially an organization dealing with something that, that is critical and being able to have it oriented towards, you know, uh, Métis priorities in, in our history. I think that's, uh, you know, kudos to them for being able to you know have an organization with that kind of longevity
0: absolutely and uh, I don't know if they're a registered charity I didn't see a charity number on there but um, I just wanted to kind of because of this it reminded me of something um, for anybody who's interested on Facebook what you have now is let's say your your birthday's coming up um, apparently there's a thing on Facebook which will allow you to you know raise money for your your favorite charity for in, in honor of your birthday. And, uh, my wife did this for a local women's shelter here, indigenous women's shelter called Owaton Healing Lodge. And, uh, you know, you set the limit, you can I pick 500, 200, a thousand, whatever. And apparently it's actually pretty slick. Uh, people pledge the money and then Facebook, uh, shoots the money over to, to the charity within, I think, I think it's within six weeks of the closing date, whatever you set. So, just an idea out there. If, if these guys are a registered charity, you should be able to find them in Facebook's list of charities in Canada. So, because um, all of that information is public knowledge, and so if you if you want, you can probably raise some money on Facebook for them. So I think that'd be really
1: cool. Oh, that is a good idea.
0: All right. So the next thing I had on here was oh, I'm sure everybody saw this, but the big massive. Massive undercover operation that netted, uh, you know, some charges against a guy in Saskatchewan for selling $90 worth of fish, uh, which was a, uh, 16 month undercover sting operation. Did you, have, <laughs> what are your thoughts on that, Jay?
1: I'm not sure how come it would take 16 months to bust someone for fish. Why did it take so long? Did you know?
0: Well, when I read the article, uh, it seemed like they, they, they honest to God did like a full undercover thing where, you know, they put in a environmental guy who put a wind monitor on this guy's property. And so he had to come up regularly and check it and change filters or some shit and befriended the guy and got to know him and it took a long time to earn his trust and then you know stuff like that and I'm like man this seems really complicated for 90 dollars worth of fish
1: well what I was wondering in that, is, since wouldn't that almost verge on entrapment
0: that's what a lot of people were asking um i think i i i don't think it does um there was a technical reason i can't remember what it was but um because the guy he got he invited the guy i think to go with him or go fishing with him or something like that. Um, so there, there was a technicality where it was found to not be entrapment because I think that was originally what they tried to say was this is entrapment. Um, but the court said, no, it wasn't. So, but I, I do think it was well, a fine line.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they got nothing better to do with their resources, right? I mean, really, I what was that? I mean, fish was it to make $90 worth of fish, you know, did he have 10 fish? 20 fish, 30 fish. Like what did he get for his 90 bucks?
0: Yeah. I don't know how much he was selling a fish for, but let's say it was 10 bucks a fish. I mean, that's nine fish. So.
1: Yeah. So 16 months to bust a guy for his nine fish. Yeah. You know? Um, and that's, you know, as an outdoorsman of all the things I see with poaching and, and, uh, you know, people just shooting animals and leaving them. It's good to see all these resources spent. Um, you know, to make sure that dude is properly punished for his, you know, ten fish.
0: Well, I think that was the common sentiment with everybody online was that here you have a guy. I mean, they spent. Uh, I'm assuming they paid this undercover guy, this environmental guy. I'm gonna guess at least six figures a year. So let's say there's a hundred and let's say easy math, a hundred thousand dollars there. He's got expenses to keep traveling up there constantly. So let's say another hundred thousand there. And then, uh, you got all the other time, you know, officers time and equipment and all this stuff. I mean, you're easily looking at a half million to, to a million dollars minimum for something like well, that.
1: Oh, by the, for sure. And then you, you know, you still got to go to court and all that other business. Yeah. So, you know, we have a million dollar, you know, ticket for, for his $90 fish and then, uh, his 10 fish and then what, what's going to happen to him in the end, you know?
0: Well, and I think in the end, because it was such a low value of fish, I think it's just a fine. Like, I don't even know if, uh, if he actually goes to court to face a jury trial. I think it's literally just a, like a misdemeanor fine. Um, so, (laughs) you know, and, and there was a lot of people that are like, you know, they can't spend any money on MMIW, but they have money for this stuff and. Um, For me, I I go back about, I don't know, maybe a year ago, two years ago, there was a story where uh, some, I think it was some Saskatchewan hunters accidentally crossed the imaginary Manitoba-Saskatchewan border, shot a moose, brought back home to Saskatchewan. They were First Nations and wildlife and the RCMP showed up with an entire SWAT team to go into these guys' like you know, trailer and into their freezer and pull out all the m- moose meat and and confiscate it. And again, they got like a, you know, fine for poaching. It's it, stories like this is just baffle me as to how much money we spend fighting indigenous people for like basically next to nothing, you know? It's kind of like the guy uh, that was caught in Northern Alberta, given two, given a couple of fish from his first nation, he gave a Métis friend uh, two fish. And now he's charged with a crime.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, are the guys who work in that department are they unable to go hunting themselves? They just want to, you know, steal, you know, fishing game from from First Nations. Is that what this is about? You know, seems like an expensive way to get some fish for yourself.
0: Well, and it 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 strikes me, um, you know, we've talked about hunting and stuff before, and how sport hunters absolutely hate the fact that Indigenous people have hunting rights. Um, so yeah, are these, these guys working in these offices just of that same mentality?
1: Well, and I think too, the reality is, is you wonder what, what they have budgets for. Are they trying to use up their budget money? You know, where, where are the funds going from? Where did they get the funds? Uh, is this going to a budget increase to police and control first nations in the future? You know, if they're, you know, you know, abusing the system with their fishes kind of a deal or what, you know, I'd like to know, what are these departments doing with this money? How are they getting it? Why are they spending it this way? Uh, Compared to when you're on Facebook during hunting season, when you see so many, you know, poachers and so many animals left dead in the ditch and, you know, they seem to have no clue about what's going on or how that's even possible, you know. It sure seems that uh, it's an easy target to um, spend all these resources on First Nations and Métis people, you know, out there harvesting.
0: Well, and that's the thing, like I think at some point in time, you got to start at some level in the government, somebody's got to start asking the question of, you know, is this, is this really worth it? Oh, are you still there?
1: Well, is that exactly, exactly the budget, you know, where are we putting our money and our resources when it comes to the preservation of wildlife in this province, and in this country, actually? You look at how many lakes have uh, you know improper water survey studies done on them you know never mind our rivers with so much pollution from towns going into them if we're a fish habitat you know I can tell you how many guys I see driving around with their guns hanging out the window in the wintertime come hunting season and that doesn't seem to bother anybody yeah. you know but Lord help you I guess if you're indigenous and you uh, you know give a buddy a few fish
0: well, that's just it. And I mean, you, you, even looking at what's going on uh, in the Wet'suwet'en territory right now, so they're bulldozing through the forest with, to build this pipeline. They went right through a trap line. And technically, that's a, that's a law. You can't interfere with a trap line. That's whatever, section something other of their, um, you know, of, of an act in BC. So they seem okay with corporations breaking the law. When it comes to hunting and fishing, they seem okay. Like you said, with people poaching and bear baiting and doing things like that. But yet, you know, a guy gives a friend two fish and he just happens to be Métis. Oh my God. Can't do that. You're first nations.
1: And. uh, Oh yeah. And if you're, you know, you're first nations and you happen to shoot across the imaginary white man's line of a province by accident. It's not like they were intentionally out there saying, holy crap, let's go to Manitoba and shoot those big moose. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they come take all your food.
0: Well, that's just it. And the worst worst part in a lot of these cases is these are all traditional territories for these people. So, you know, again, I I have to laugh whenever I hear somebody say reconciliation because it's like, really, is reconciliation doing a 16-month undercover, you know, uh, wildlife sting to get, uh, you know, a First Nation or Indigenous person for selling $90 with a fish? Is that really what reconciliation looks like? Because that looks like more genocide more oppression to me. I don't know. Like.
1: Well, it's very hard. I mean, the reality is, is, you know, could he be giving those fish to his own community? Sure. But the reality is none of, I don't know, too many indigenous people who are wealthy who just give away their food. Um, you know, and so, and the other point is he's helping out a buddy for money. This guy spent 16 months befriending him and trying to convince him that he was his friend. Yes. All to dupe dupe him into trying to sell him some fish. So, you know, to me, that's a real bogus deal of, again, how do you trust the government that they're not sitting behind every bush or pole or, you know, project to try to sucker us into some kind of fine?
0: Well, and then you got to ask too, like, I agree with you totally on that one. Um, And I think the fact that, you know, a lot of, uh indigenous people do live in poverty and if this guy's fishing for food let we don't know if he's already sharing with the community maybe he caught 40 fish shared with his community and he, these are the ones he's selling to buy more supply fishing supplies so he can go continue fishing who knows um so I, I hate that poverty angle that people seem to forget about um but yeah it just it just seems so ridiculous to me and i i can't help but wonder like if if we're in this era of building relationships amongst people, do you honestly think this guy's ever going to trust another white guy in the in his life? Not likely. Well, exactly.
1: And the the point is is I think that's really what this boils down to. I know many non-indigenous uh, sport hunters who, you know, think that indigenous people have some kind of special privilege where they can go shoot anything anytime anywhere for any reason. And they can do it, you know, with, with no answer to anybody. And they think that that's not fair and yeah. that's not right. Yeah. And I think the, the problem is, is along with that, though, they think that their organizations that regulate sport fishing actually are about conservation. And the truth of the matter is we've seen, you know, under indi- non-Indigenous uh, conservation programs, we've seen every facet of wildlife decline. Yes. And so I'm not I'm not convinced these guys could actually uh, do anything to conserve a herd or a species from going extinct because they sure haven't been able to do anything, you know, in the last hundred years since they've, you know, usurped our control.
0: And that's a great point too. I never even thought of that angle. Yeah, I mean these these organizations say they conserve, but they're they're all about conservation. But they yeah, they just simply don't. I mean, you know, I mean, I was just reading two days ago, monarch butterflies are becoming you know, um, almost extinct. And I'm like, seriously, if we can't manage butterflies, (laughs) how do we manage, you know, you know, actual big animals like bear and moose. And, um, yeah, I was just reading again, I posted this on our Facebook page. I think it was the, I want to say the caribou in Alberta. I can't remember which one it was, Mm -hmm. but they're, yeah, they're in getting to be at risk in Alberta. And so there's a couple of groups coming together of, which none of them have anything to do with Métis Nation of Alberta, to try to come up with a way to conserve our 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 caribou. Well, how did that happen if these groups are all about conservation?
1: There's a big fight between the preservation of the caribou and the logging resources that have to go on for people to have their jobs. You know, we don't want to sacrifice, you know, jobs for the sake of protecting the caribou of yeah. all things. Like, come on. So the reality is, is, is we have this battle between, uh, the preservation of animals and everything like that. And we have these organizations that, that police, you know, indigenous, right. and indigenous title under the guise of conservation, you know, and somehow it boils down to that, that this guy was abusing his indigenous title by selling these fish. And I think that whole, the whole concept is such a misnomer, you know, at what point is it our right to do with our fish as we want, as we did for how many thousands of years before, you know, they got here?
0: Well, that's just it. I mean, you know, First Nations and, and Indigenous people in general just had, they had trade routes. They had, econ- you know, economies. It just wasn't based on a, a paper currency. Um, but they were always trading food and furs and equipment and supplies. And I mean, this was, this was standard practice. Um, you know, depending on your geographic area, you had an abundance of this. so you could trade some of that to other nations who had an abundance of other things that you might like. And that seems to be totally lost on the vast majority of non-indigenous Canadians, they they, honest to God believe that it was just dumb luck that that indigenous people seem to survive here. when we didn't survive, we th- we were thriving like indigenous people were thriving here before you know settlers came we we had cities i mean that's been proven and things like that like it so it's it's a total misnomer and i think stuff like this completely plays into stereotypes it divides people and i can't for the life of me figure out what part of that's these stories about hunting and stuff like that are uh are you know, Justin Trudeau's the great answer to our prayers uh, version of reconciliation. I, I can't find that angle yet.
1: Yeah, and I, I, it's totally that. Do we have these paternal organizations that, that treat Indigenous people like somehow we were just haphazardly lucky that we got all these fish in the rivers and the woods full of animals and the plains full of buffalo it was all just dumb luck, not yeah. good management. Yeah. And they think that somehow their knowledge is going to save us. And, and I think the really worst part for me is, you know, growing up in the woods and understanding how nature works is they somehow think that indigenous people are the abusers. Yeah. Because, because we have the right to hunt and, and fish beyond what the sport fisherman does or beyond what the, the government regulates the settler to that it's, it's the indigenous person's fault that, there's all these problems with the caribou and there's all these problems with the fish in the rivers. It's somehow indigenous people and their right, you know, to, to have access to this, that's making the real problem. And I, that kind of really bugs me, you know, to be honest.
0: Absolutely. And I, you know, I think we've even talked about that before and it, it's just you know, yeah, there's is there gonna be indigenous that take advantage of a system? Sure there is. There are people like anybody else. There's just lots of people taking care of, taking advantage of lots of systems the government has to offer. Um but the bottom line is is it's either a right or it's not. And to be honest with you, it's very clear to me that the government treats these things as a privilege, not a right. And with that privilege comes government control and government oversight and government uh, say-so. And, you know, that that doesn't make it a right. A right is something that you cannot take away. And, you know, in these cases, they're putting very much putting limits to those rights and they treat them like privileges. Like, if you you can't go here, you can go there, but you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do this, you can't do that. Well, then when when does it become a Right. (laughs)
1: And I think that's very much what we've seen in this case and in in several that we've discussed about before. And I think it's something that, that people need to wake up to and a a cause we need to really to figure out how to adequately address, you know, given, like you said, this context and conversation about how can we have reconciliation when, when there's no such thing as rights, they're really privileges, you know, and they treat our, our treaties and these things as though they're a privilege for us to have. Um, signed them with the colonial government and it's a privilege that they let us exercise our, our rights under the, the treaties. Yep. You know, It's their whole mentality and I think that's such a farce.
0: Absolutely. I was talking to uh, a while ago, I was talking to a First Nation friend of mine and uh, we were talking about hunting and I was like, ah, I want to get out hunting next fall or whatever and <laughs> he kind of joked around. He said, well, you can come hunting with me, but you can't, you know, if we shoot anything, you can't take any of it. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I just thought he was being greedy, but no, it's because he, you know, he was telling me that if he's out there and he shoots something, he has to take all that meat and he has to keep it all. Otherwise, the government says that he illegally hunted that animal. So then I got thinking, well, at what point did we stop being able to provide for our communities? Because, I mean, he can't shoot that animal and technically he can't take any of that and give it to anybody in his community because that's illegal hunting. Yep. But that's the traditional way to hunt. I mean, Mm -hmm. not everybody in the entire, you know, village went hunting. (laughs) So, so it's just, it's such an infringement on, uh, indigenous rights. And I, you know, I, I just, I wonder at one point in time, is there going to be pushback on these governments and on fish and wildlife in whatever province these, these governments are in to, to actually stop targeting First Nations and, you know, Métis and Inuit people for hunting. I mean, it's no different than the, you know, Greenpeace came in and made the seal hunts look so bad and and they made them illegal. And then the Inuit suffered because it was illegal for them to hunt their own own food source. And so, you know, it's just a constant battle.
1: What I think really bugs me the, the most though is if you buy a hunting license, Darcy, and I buy a hunting license, and we go out there as sport hunters like any settler. And you shoot the moose, and we take it back to your house, and we skin it, and you throw some of that moose into my cooler, and I drive home with it. No one, no one ever says anything. Yeah. I can't tell you my whole life growing up when my, my parents went hunting, and that's how it worked. They bought a license. They shot the moose. They went hunting together, and everybody took some home. And no one's ever said anything in the 46 years I've seen hunting going on. But somehow if you're indigenous and you do it under the, in, you know, non-sport hunting, then boy, you better watch out.
0: Yeah. And that is ridiculous.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely it's ridiculous. You know, you can take that, that moose, you can take it to the butcher, the butcher will wrap it. We can throw right into the back of your truck. I can, you can throw some into my freezer and you can go home and throw the rest in yours and no one will ever say anything. Yep. No one ever has come to any sport fisher, sport hunter person's house that I've seen and gone through their freezer and said, geez, did you shoot all that moose? Or does that, you know? Yeah. You know, can you prove that that you're the only person who's eaten that moose or that deer hanging there? Yeah. You know, it's ridiculous. Such a double standard about how, as long as you pay the fee, they don't really care what happens. But if you're going to exercise Indigenous title, boy, they follow you around like you're about to, you know, murder somebody.
0: Absolutely. And I mean, you know, I, I, I have neighbors that have shared the spoils of their hunting with, with me and I'm, I didn't even go hunting with them and they still gave me steaks and stuff like that. I, I remember being in high school and friends going hunting and bringing stuff to school and they would share, you know, like you're right. It, it, it's totally fine. As long as you paid that, whatever nominal fee for that little tag, right?
1: Yeah. And such a, but it's such a double standard that, you know, as an indigenous person, if I go hunting as a Métis person, if I go hunting with a first nations person, that if we do all the work together and I do, you know, help, help out on the hunt, you think, Hey, if I got a few roasts out of the deal or some, you know, moose meat out of the deal to jerk that I'd be okay. That would be cool. Yeah. Because the settlers can do it, but no, no. You know, Indigenous title, they have all these restrictions. So if they have all these restrictions that they want to enforce and they can penalize us for, is it really a right?
0: Yeah. Well, exactly. And, you know, we've said that many times before. I mean, you got to really look at it, it. The government treats it like it's a privilege. Well, if the government treats it that way, guess what? In their eyes, it's a privilege. And you have to meet their expectations and their rules. And that in no way, shape, or form is how a right is supposed to work. It's pretty sad. I mean, it's just a sad situation all around. And I, th- I think what's really, really sad about all this is the absolute futility of it all. Um, you're taking people that, you know, more, more more, than likely live in poverty, and you're punishing them for, for what? Because they're poor. Um, you know, it's just, it, it, and it just keeps going. It just keeps going. It's always northern communities. It's always, you know, places like that. I mean, we saw this in Conklin, where they went in and took all the fish. Why would you do that? Why? Who cares if they caught them illegally? I mean, according to your rules, there's like 12 fish there. Is that emptying the whole lake? Like, I could see if they had like 700 fish all drying on the rack. That's a little excessive. But it's it seems to always be these smaller northern communities, northern reserves um, that always seem to get targeted with this stuff, you know. And it 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 just doesn't it strikes me aw- as odd that it's it seems to always be in those northern communities where you know there's scarce access to um, affordable food and things like that, and these guys are the ones that are always getting targeted with this stuff.
1: Well, I think for me it boils down to the fact that. These officers who, let's face facts, are mostly settlers who've gone to the school to become these conservation officers of whatever ilk. They, I think, personally target Indigenous people because they feel they have an unfair right, unfair privilege over what the rest of Canadians get. Absolutely. And so if there's an opportunity to catch them, catch an Indigenous person in one of these infractions… They're going to do it because they think it's not fair. It's yep. not right that indigenous people get to do these things when normal air quotations Canadians don't get to
0: absolutely i I couldn't agree more, and I think uh, a lot of it plays into statistics if they can say at the end of the year, well, you know, we wrote a hundred and eighty five tickets for people illegally doing things, and out of those one hundred and eighty five tickets. 130 of them were, were indigenous people. So clearly they're just bad apples trying to game the system and take advantage of things. And so on paper, it, it continues that, 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 uh, discrimination, discrimination, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's a very good point.
1: Yeah. It's one of the reasons, if you really want to be honest in Alberta, it's the, it's the number one reason why Métis people don't have any kind of harvesting rights is because of the, uh, sport hunting community yes and and the proper they put out propaganda they put out that indigenous people are the number one problem of why there's no more animals in the woods
0: absolutely yeah
1: and you know you can get on any hunting site you like that and that's pretty much the rhetoric that's on there and the government does everything possible to reinforce that by these idiotic stings for 16 months for a whole whopping 10 fish probably, or 90 bucks. Yeah. It, it's about the public perception. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Absolutely. It's, uh I don't know. I mean, they do a lot, you know, when you watch government and they talk about reconciliation and they're and making big announcements about funding this and funding that and promises and money, money, money. But then when you actually see what's going on, on the on the ground level, you see stuff like this and it just reminds me, for me, it reminds me every single day when I see this stuff in the news and in the media and on social media, they're really, they're not trying to reconcile. They're trying to put new paint on the old house and the old house is still built on some pretty shitty foundations. Um, if there, in my opinion, if there was true reconciliation, it would be things like this that got the attention of, of people in charge to say, Okay, we're gonna stop doing this targeted bullshit. Um, you know, it's no it's no different than the, the police carding situation here in Alberta and I think in other provinces where they're they're tar- targeting people of a certain color, um and, and carding them all the time. And it, all these things happen and and they happen for a reason. And it's based on it's so that they can make the statistics appear to support their bias and their discriminatory practices.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, yeah, cuz they want assimilation at all costs.
0: Absolutely. Whatever. And speaking of uh, you know, big government announcements and reconciliation, the uh, the liberal government is taking a new approach for First Nations on-reserve education funding, which uh for if for those who don't know, uh on-reserve education funding is woefully lacking when it comes when you compare it to education funding for anybody else in the country. Um, But I want to make it very clear that the government isn't spending more money. The government is simply reallocating the money they're already spending. So this isn't really an increase in funding. This is just spreading it to different services to make it look like we're doing a much better job. Uh, did yeah. you get a chance to read this article, Jay?
1: Not tons, but it, the one thing I did catch out of it was there wasn't an actual lift on the cap of spending. Nope. For education, which which I still think we're dealing with a 2% cap if I'm not mistaken. Um, so there's no actual new money. It's exactly nope. what you said is they're going to somehow magically redistribute the money they already have and it will go further than it was before. Yes. So yes. I, I know I'm not a math genius. I'm just not sure the formula you need to use in what governmental department that that actually works.
0: Well, and and this this always makes me go, uh, you know, start to question the 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 actual merit of any of this uh, big announcements. Uh, so I'll read this. It says Indigenous Services Minister Seamus O'Regan said Monday that the new model was developed after an extensive engagement process involving several organizations, including the Assembly of First Nations. So right there, that kind of gets me going. Oh, really? <laughs> Mm -hmm. So we're pan-indigenizing everybody now. So everybody's getting the same thing. Doesn't matter whether you need it or not. Um, You know, he went on to say, this is good news because we know First Nations lead these initiatives, blah, 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 blah. Um, So what it actually does, I'm just trying to get there, is I think it provides funding for full-time kindergarten. So they're shifting money away from something else to go to that. Um. And I think it, it, it does give uh, the First Nations ban- chief and council more control over where they spend the, the money that they're given for education. So let's say let's say one reserve needs uh, you know, school books or something, and the other reserve needs maintenance on their school. I think they can allocate that money more freely without the government telling them exactly what to do with it. So, which according to the government is like amazing, like that's a, such a novel concept. <laughs> like, oh my goodness. like I, I think this to me for people who don't know the Indian Act this is a great example of just how much control the the federal government still has over First Nations lives because until this if you got let's say you're you got a million dollars for your education on reserve the government told you what to spend that million dollars on so if you needed desks for your students to sit in and the government said, no, nope, you don't need desks. You need this. Guess what? You got what the government told you. So it's pretty sad that they think it's a huge step to give control of what they actually need to buy and spend the money on to the people who know what they need to spend the money on. I mean, that's seems to be a no-brainer for me. But
1: Well, and again, it's not like the department has also announced um, layoffs or a lack of administration on the government side of things. Um, you know, a reduction in bureaucracy or a streamlining of the department so that there you'd think, oh, maybe they are coming up with extra revenues or monies to be able to you know, make it to the children who actually need it most. And I think that's what really bothers me again is this is a good talk, but when we're talking about how much money is going to this department's, you know, the kids at the ground level, are we actually going to see, you know, one cent different anywhere? you know, per on a per student basis.
0: Yeah. Well, that's just it. And I mean, I think that, uh, they mentioned earlier in this article that I'm reading, um, you know, they're, they're already somewhere, anywhere from half a billion to a billion dollars lower per student for funding than off reserve, uh, ed- you know, school education funding. So, so they've got a billion, about a billion dollars to make up in funding to make it equal to off reserve. And that's not what this article is. They didn't add any, any money. Like you said, this is just spreading the the manure around a little further. Um, you know, like, uh, each school will receive $1,500 per student every year towards language and culture programs. And schools will be able to offer full kindergarten for on reserve kids aged four and five. So that's some of the, uh, the big moves that they're talking about there and spreading that money around. Um, yeah. And it, it's just, it really is a joke because unless they're talking about making the funding equal, and even that is controversial because they've been so many years of deficit funding for their education and underfunding, a lot of people think they actually should increase it to more than what off-reserve gets for a certain period of time until until the funding is actually equal. Um, and, but it, I think honestly, the best you can ask right now is that it becomes equal funding per student, but.
1: And yeah. And I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Again, another organi- governmental organization, you know, you talk about the management of natural resources to talking about education. And here we have another governmental department that has no interest in equalization, you know, equality between indigenous people and, you know, the colonial state. So I think the, the problem I have is these de- departments is that when we look at it, whether it's the natural resources or whether it is education, we see that across the board department by department uh, of these government organizations, that we see that what, what we really mean by reconciliation is assimilation. And that's the only way the colonial state sees Indigenous people being fully reconciled with the state is when we're fully assimilated with the state. <laughs>
0: Absolutely, you know, and I mean, I think that's the thing is if if you see that, you know, you can take your, I mean, especially if you live around a larger center like Calgary or Edmonton or things like that, if you see that your kid can get a better education going into the city to that school because it's got way better funding, um, why wouldn't you do it if you're able to, right? And so that encourages people to leave the reserve, head into the city because it's a much better life in there, way better in there, go there. And I, I I absolutely agree with you. I think it's it's a matter of of very quietly and subtly pushing people to assimilate and get off the reserve because the less people well, are yeah. on the reserve, the faster we can take them.
1: Exactly. The more the sooner that you can get the Indian off the land, the sooner he becomes a settler in the settler state, and it's all over with. And then you can finally get away with these you know you know quaint ideas of communal land, you know, yeah. and common share. Yeah, You know, how, how archaic is that, you know, these Indians need to get with a program of, of simple free title and, you know, we can move on to a prosperous economic hub drive country that, that Canada wants to be. Yeah. And I, I think if we see that they make it so impossible for Indigenous people to stay on the land in any regards. You know, whether it's the way they enforce their laws on us, whether it's the way they underfund us uh, through, through their treaty obligations, they virtually don't meet any obligations so that they can get indigenous people off the land and into these urban centers so they can disconnect us from any tangible, you know, relationship anymore and, and title to the land.
0: Absolutely. And you know, I, it's funny in the, in the one article about that, there's also a link to uh, an article talking about how Trudeau has failed to honor his $2.6 billion education promise. Um, that he made over two years ago. Uh, you know, First Nations are saying, well, we haven't seen any of that money arrive and we're still, we can't afford science labs, sports equipments. And, and now he's spreading out the little bit of money that they are already spending to provide indigenous language programs. But really you had to take away from something else. And I mean, it's just, it is ridiculous. It is just uh, another measured way to force assimilation. as Like you were saying, and, It, it, honestly, it's, it's, it's really sickening. I mean, when you compile these things with, you know, the, basically the, the military invasion of the Wet'suwet'en territory, uh, let's not mince words there. That was sovereign territory that was not part of Canada and they just went in and are building a pipeline anyway. Um, they break the, the laws there by running over the trap lines and destroying them. Um, they won't let, trappers into their trap lines to check the traps because they might interfere with the pipeline. But yet that in and of itself is interfering with a trapper. So that's the RCMP are breaking the law. And then you have these, you know, $90 fish sting operations and shit like that. It's all very, very calculated maneuvers to push Indigenous people off reserve, off the land, and force them into the colonial system and become... Colonial uh, colonial people, just like a lot of people.
1: That's right. And for the reserves that are negotiating, you know, the bands that are negotiating with the government right now, it's to push them towards those municipality type jurisdictions, well underneath of the crown's, you know, jurisdiction. Yeah. And they don't want nation to nation; they want nation to municipality. And I think the the reality is is that's what's going on, and the government is playing a very aggressive, strategic chess game. Yep. To put this, you know, uh, you know, as their final solution to the Indian problem.
0: Well, absolutely, and this is why I, I really I, I say this all the time. We've said it on the show a million times, but I will continue to say it to Métis people: be very, very cautious when the government says we're going to give you a half a billion dollars for something over ten years. Blah blah blah. Just be very careful what's coming in the other hand that you're not paying attention to because. They're not just generous, amazing, and loving, and kind governments. There is an agenda. There is always an agenda. And that agenda very rarely has our best interests at heart. So when they promise something, just be very cautious about that. It's like a magician. They're trying to draw you away and and dazzle you with this while they're doing the actual magic down here and away from your eyes.
1: Well, I think we, and then we've talked about that lots, you know, if the government is saying that they're going to recognize Métis government or this organization as a form of Métis government, I don't think they're going to do that because they're just like you said, the the paternal great white grandfather who's going to look after us, yeah. you know, they're, <laughs> they're, they're, and I think that's real, because we're not the children, you know, the children of the great white grandfather anymore, our grandmother, and I, I think the problem is, is they want to solve this indigenous question. They want indigenous kids us. Uh, indigenous people to be assimilated into that state and they don't want anyone outside of the crown and i think when they acknowledge our right as indigenous people it's not acknowledging it it's it's saying you have a privilege they're saying oh you have this indigenous privilege under the crown's jurisdiction that's what crown acknowledgement of indigenous title really means to them
0: absolutely and i I mean I I understand uh you know le- you know um I, so-called leaders quote unquote from organizations i i understand that they need to do the meet and greet and the politicking and the smiles for the camera with these people but the reality is is when you have leaders like uh you know the MMF president saying Justin Trudeau is our you know, the answer to our prayers he's the greatest leader we've ever seen and does more for ma- indigenous people Again, I just have to warn you, what, what is the agenda here? Because the government does not have our best interests at heart anyway. So how does, a, how does a person come out and say that who's supposed to be the leader of a, of a group of people who for Canada's entire history have been discriminated against, killed, murdered, abused, uh, and continue to this day to have that stuff happen? How is this, how are you happy about reconciliation watching all of this stuff go on? Cause I'm not, I don't know anybody that is.
1: Well, and I think it's what you said earlier. How can you trust it? You know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. You,
1: I mean, where, where's the proof in the pudding? If we look out our window tonight and we look across the great land, where is the word of the Trudeau government holding true about doing right by indigenous people? Absolutely absolutely we don't see it. we, we you know how many departments that we talked about tonight you know we talk about what's going on in, in BC we talk about what's going on with fish we talk about what's going on with education we talk about you know which, how many more departments do we have to talk about before we realize at no point in any portfolio does the government have indigenous title indigenous best interest at heart it's about assimilation assimilation f- Plain and simple. So when they make promises to Métis people about we're going to grant you this, we're going to recognize that, we're going to fund this, you know, how, it was only how many minutes ago did you just say that you know First Nations have been waiting how long for money? Yeah, two years, it's two years, and two years this promise was made and they've got no money. Exactly. So,
0: but you know, in all fairness, the 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 great answer to our prayers. I mean, uh, the real work has been done because. Here in Alberta, at least, uh, Indigenous people and Métis people. uh, We're all Indigenous, I understand. Um, But we have free access to the national parks here in Alberta. So, you know, I mean, what else can we really expect, right? I mean, all of this other stuff, that looks bad on paper, but the true work is that we can get a six-month pass into the national parks here in Alberta now. So, I'm just, I know I feel way better knowing that.
1: Very validating. You know, my, my indigenous identity is now totally validated because I can get into the park.
0: One of which they forcibly removed Métis people without compensation in order to build the park. And we're just now getting access to it again, but we'll just, we'll forget about that little piece of history, right? Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, I think we ranted and raved enough tonight, so, um... For all you guys out there listening, and I really want to stress this point that if you want to help us grow the show, and you want to see more guests, and you want to see uh, better more viewpoints, and you want to ha- get a, help us get more voices on the show, you need to head over to our Patreon page and you need to sign up for at least five bucks a month. Um, you can sign up for as much as you want and be a real hero, but minimum five bucks a month, and you will, you know. Support us, support independent media, and help us get the show out further and and get more voices on there. So I really encourage everybody to do that. I want to say thank you to all the people who've already signed up and have been supporting the show for months and months now. You guys are absolutely fantastically awesome. I do get emails from a few of you regularly, and it's absolutely amazing. So thank you for that. And I don't know if you have any last final bits of wisdom to share, Jason?
1: Uh, put your toque on. It's cold outside.
0: <laughs> and don't eat yellow snow.
1: Uh, Stay away from
0: the sane old yellow snow. <laughs> I guess uh, until next week, guys, that's it. The jig is up. You are the spark that's starting a fire that will spread across this land. And it will be a fire that doesn't burn, but a fire that cleanses. A fire that ignites in our hearts and creates light. No more Our time now is to be light in the world.